Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists who are working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Interviews are conducted with individuals who are doing clinical work as well as leading attachment theory researchers. Your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, will introduce you to Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, who will explore the use of sensory motor therapy in children. The focus of Dr. Goldstein's work is to foster and heal relationships through the lens of attachment theory, somatic and mindful awareness, and the dynamic interaction of group psychotherapy. She helps clients navigate through life's complexities by addressing developmental issues, family systems, grief and loss counseling for children and adults, and transitions to adulthood. Her work integrates traditional psychodynamic psychotherapy with progressive psychotherapeutic interventions such as sensory motor psychotherapy, hypnosis, mindfulness exercises, and EMDR. And now your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Okay, so I am here with Bonnie Goldstein, who was a contributor to the Attachment Theory in Action book, um, writing about sensory motor psychotherapy. And so I'm really excited to be able to interview you today, Bonnie, about this. Um, but first, could you just tell us a little bit about your professional background? Thank you so much, Karen, for having me here. And I came to the sensory motor psychotherapy world after over two decades working in a more tra- traditional modality with children, adolescents, families, and When I heard um, Pat Ogden, who's the founder of Sensory Motor Psychotherapy in 2003, and spent a day-long workshop with her over at UCLA, I realized that there were so many tools that I could incorporate in what I was already doing and in my background in attachment, and I know you're trained in attachment, Karen. So I really saw it initially as tools to add to my already burgeoning practice, but over the years of studying and learning more and more about sensory motor psychotherapy and realizing how much more I had to learn, I found that by the time a decade had gone by and um, when we met over at the Theraplay conference, Karen, that was already after I was doing a lot of taping of my clients using the sensory motor psychotherapy modality it became clear to me that now I'm predominantly a sensory motor psychotherapy clinician using some of my other tools as an adjunct, but that the wisdom of going beneath the words, being able to help our clients recognize what's going on in the present moment, their embodied experience, helping them be more mindful and notice what's happening, as collaboratively we have that experience unfold with such a different lens than the interpretation, than the, the lens that I had worked with in a more psychodynamic modality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So it, it started out almost maybe like um, an adjunct therapy or an ancillary therapy to what you were doing, but then it evolved... And it's kind of more predominant in what you're doing. It's the overarching model with which I lead the groups that I run. And I am a firm believer in group dynamics to help 
those transitions to the next stage of life, and also when we're working in the sensory motor psychotherapy modality, working with one client, the others have the opportunity to observe, to model, sometimes to encourage, often to reinforce, and always to practice mm -hmm. the very tools that they're picking up on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you had to give an elevator speech about what sensory motor psychotherapy is, what would you say? That's a great question. Noticing in the present moment what's happening in the body as well as the mind, what the sensations, the emotions, the cognitions, the five sense perceptions, what is emerging in our work together, often from the moment they make the appointment, but always from the moment they enter the room. Mm -hmm. As an example, often I'll ask my clients now, where would you like to sit? In a room that's filled with many possibilities, with couches, with chairs, with large exercise balls, rubber balls that can couple as couches. In one of our offices, we have a swing, and that might be the selected place that the clients will sit while I'm in the couch or vice versa. There's always more of a mindfulness now of their safety. In particular, if there's trauma, they may choose to sit near a door or want to have a space that has those firm edges, like a couch that has two arms that's just their seat, and the attention to that space in the office and having plenty of space, that's also something that I really hadn't been as aware of prior to working in this modality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, you mentioned being at the TheraPlay conference, and, and I'm a TheraPlay trainer also, and um, it you know we do think of some we think of those those things space we think about what's happening right in the moment and we do the running commentary of what we're seeing um uh so i mean there there i i can understand why um the Fair Play Institute felt, you know, there there's some overlap or, or some ways that we're relating in terms of bringing um, Dr. Ogden to speak. So, um, but it's so true what you say. There's, it's almost like there's this whole other realm we're not thinking about with traditional talk therapy. Well, I would say that there are many schools of child work and many schools of somatic body work. What feels so fresh about this modality is that all of those things, those precursors to treatment, are really truly just that. That that is the beginning of the work together, and then in five phases, treatment unfolds. We start just by creating an environment and a space similar to TheraPlay and many other mindful of children and adolescents and family rooms. Mm -hmm. And then we create through our verbal and nonverbal body-based awareness, our implicit, often gestures of our own, our curiosity about what's happening with our clients, and the context statements, which is the first of the stages, just to help 
build a container of safety. Mm -hmm. And once we have that container, that's where the tools of the sensory motor processing are so significant. It's the funneling down, the helping to collaboratively isolate and identify the targeted issues, the openness to shift our direction if some of the hypotheses we as the therapists might have um, need shifting. And really, instead of knowing in advance where we're going, to let go of our memory of our desire. Those are some of the beyond, Alfred Beyond would say that, let go of memory and desire. So true in sensory motor psychotherapy. We let it go and we're following our clients, always ready to frame, access, and then work on a collaboratively agreed upon goal and ever-changing collaboratively agreed upon goal and often inviting family members to practice, to have homework, to come up together with a blueprint of what we might want to see happen in the home and then to examine and fine tune at further sessions or even in that session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know that you have... Um been especially focused on using this model with children. And so maybe if you could just talk a little bit about that and how that's developed for you in your practice. Um, yeah. I find that children are often the hardest to reach through some of the more traditional modalities. And there's always an element of play and collaboration in sensory motor psychotherapy. So that Sometimes the work is play, and always the work of the therapist is to be able to be in that realm of play and invite in through that each of the different steps that I was mentioning earlier. So that feels so fresh and so um, client-centered or child-centered, or with our adults, it's the child and all of us adults, mm -hmm. to be able to follow their path and, and be with them. Mm -hmm. The sensory motor psychotherapy in the training has two different tracks. One is the trauma lens, the trauma track, which is the first of our trainings that helps our therapists often isolate, process, work through single or multiple traumas. But then the second level of the training, a more advanced training that all of our students can go through, focuses on through the lens of attachment, looks at those character strategies that we develop often as a way so that we can survive or thrive in our childhood experiences, build resilience by getting past some of those bumps, and that resilience often comes through the character strategies that we develop, and often we're not aware of them. So sensory motor psychotherapy works to help our students understand, identify, and then work with their clients on identifying those character strategies. That includes our own character strategies. So we as therapists learn a sense of reflection um, for example, if I as a therapist am always mobilized to do, create, I 
hand before the question's asked. Action. They need to be able to recognize, sit back, be more present with the client and their experience. Often, my nature as a therapist resonates with the clients, but so often it doesn't. And then I get in my own way, and the enactments that uh, Philip Longbo writes about might come up if I'm not aware of what I'm bringing to the session or what my client's character strategy brings up. Mm-hmm. Or another example, what I used to see, and I was trained to see as defense, resistance, that's a defense, that's avoidance, now I see as a resource through the lens of sensory motor psychotherapy that these resources are those that help our clients to survive, to mobilize, to be able to endure sometimes the most horrific experiences. Those are patterns that our children and adolescents or adults aren't even aware of. So bringing those patterns to awareness in the most gentle manner, in the most collaborative manner, using our curiosity and using these steps that are become tools, become our, our um, blueprint upon which collaboratively we're able to work with our children and adolescents. Mm-hmm. And then whatever unfolds, we use as the next step towards together helping our clients to attain new skills, new resources, and those are body-based resources. Often, for example, a hunched up, withdrawn, head down, averted eyes gaze may be the way that our clients survived. Mm -hmm. So first we want to identify those. Then we want to be curious about how those served our clients and voice our curiosity Mm -hmm. and invite their curiosity. Possibly they're the ones interpreting what the behaviors are and then come up with resources together, ways to, for example, come into space, ways to be more present. Yeah, that's so, so helpful, and I'm so glad that you brought in. The next thing I was going to ask you about was the attachment piece, and you segued right into that as you were explaining, you know, the two different levels of training. Um, I'm... Wondering, you know, as we think about uh, building connections between children and parents, because that is the subtitle of the book, is there anything that, that comes to mind, a case example, or anything of um, specifically how you work on that connection, um, creating um, more safety in that parent-child relationship, you know, if there has been trauma, Anything come to mind about that part, the, the parent and child re, parent child relationship, and bringing that together? So I view family work as a mini group, just as I run so many of these okay. groups. Well, the family is a mini group, okay. and through the attachment lens of the sensory motor psychotherapist, we are looking at some of the character strategies of the adults, which are often so entrenched. Mm-hmm. and often so implicit that they're not aware of them mm-hmm. or so reactive, they bubble up reactively. Mm-hmm. So we want to help our adult 
children, shall we say, our adult clients, to be able to develop their own resources to withstand some of the trials and tribulations of child rearing, mm -hmm. the hurricanes of sorts. Mm -hmm. And for example, if a parent comes in and they say, I feel so awful because I know when I yell, it doesn't serve us. And then my child withdraws. We can take each of those, frame each of those. I might say, where should we begin? Should we work on mom's yelling or should we look at your withdrawing as I turn to the child? And then perhaps the child may say, oh, well, let's take care of her, let's fix her. So already we're sharing the lens instead of the identified patient that so often is the child brought into family mm -hmm. therapy. Mm -hmm. Each of us are the patients and each of us are looking at what we bring to the system mm -hmm. and helping develop different coping resources for parents. For mm -hmm. example, breast is often one. Mm -hmm. If parents anticipate there's going to be a hurricane of emotional torrential rains, we're able to say in anticipation, what mom or dad can you do? Perhaps let's notice your breath because right here in the office, I'm noticing as you talk about the incident from last night, I notice your breath is changing, it's tightening. I see your shoulders are hunching in, mom or dad. I might turn to the child and say, are you noticing that about mom? Mm. And then we're all able to be witness to what might happen mm. in the body, mm. even as they explain the issue or the problem from a different time. And we're able to look at what's happening right here in the office. Mm -hmm. And so often that's the beauty of the family work. The very incidents that happen at home often manifest in the office. Uh -huh. So we're able to say, even right now, as the two of you are talking, or I notice that each of you are doing something, and I'll call out what I see in their body. Mm -hmm. It could be that they look down. For some of our children, they withdraw, they look down, they avoid. Mm -hmm. So I might say, I wonder if there's a way that we can shift that. Mm -hmm. Often I'll use different sized balls in the room and have our younger children sit on a large ball so that their height is raised. And our oh. big adult kids have them sit on a little ball so that their eyes are lowered. How and nice. then we're able to... That's just great. And then we're able to look at what happens right now when you experience it this way. And then I can suggest to parents that if you cannot control your yelling at your child, drop your bum onto the ground. That way you're yelling from below. It will change the way your child receives the yelling. You'll also give you a moment or two of delay right. before you, you know, that moment, you don't have to remember not to yell because that's happening and you can't help yourself. But remembering to sit before you yell gives us that moment delay. It helps invite in the part of our brain that knows that there's no good in the yelling. This is part of our system. Mm -hmm. It might even avert the yelling, but if nothing else, it makes it more tolerable for a child mm -hmm. when they're being yelled at. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's wonderful. I, I really appreciate the... And then going to the same family system, I might encourage a child to stand very high, very tall. We have chairs that are very, very solid. So a child can stand with their feet on the arms of a chair. 
and experience what it's like being so tall and then encouraging the parents to curl up in a little ball on the floor and experience what that's like. Mm. And then asking the child right now as you look down at your parents, what shifts? Now, I might see shifts and I'll comment on them. Maybe they're standing very tall and proud. Maybe they're feeling a little unbalanced. I might even come over and hold them up on the chair to help regulate their balance. And just have everyone in the family notice what changes when that happens. Mm -hmm. And then we switch. The parent can stand extremely tall, like a giant parent, and have the child small. Uh And then often the parents start noticing inside them that protective part that wants to protect the Mm -hmm. child. That protective parent might, emotion might come up, they might start to feel really bad. Or the other way, when the child's above them, they might say, wow, is this how it is generally, that I'm this towering, fear-evoking parent? Right, yeah, yeah. That's also good. Now, another example would be when the child has so much power Mm -hmm. that the parent is feeling frustrated and helpless, We know, Karen, you and I know that that child's also feeling just as scared. Mm -hmm. But the yelling, raging child, or the child who has way too much power, Mm -hmm. we want to shift that not just by helping them to recognize the system, but by coming up with new ways, perhaps helping the mother or the father to develop boundaries. We can do that with our hands. Mm. Helping the parent to put their hands up as a stop sign. Often practicing that, where the child non-verbally approaches the parent, perhaps with a menacing face, perhaps towering over the parent, and helping the parent to come up with a gesture, to use their hands, to physicalize the saying of no, perhaps a word such as no, or stop that, or back off, or any of those one or two word pre-agreed-upon movements and gestures. Mm -hmm. And then we practice, and we practice again and again. And we help the parents to be able to set better boundaries in our office and help the kids to be able to accept and respect those new boundaries. And often when we practice that, the kids start to need regulation. Mm -hmm. They start to get very frustrated. We watch in the moment in the office, mm-hmm. the behaviors that we are there to work with. Yeah. And then again, we're working in the present moment, not just with the story or the behaviors, mm-hmm. but with inviting in new resources and new movements or gestures, body stances. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned there are two levels of the training, the trauma training in sensory motor and also the attachment training in the Mm -hmm. sensory motor Mm -hmm. model. And then there's also a third level, which is the certification training, where once we therapists have the tools, we're fine-tuning them. Mm -hmm. And I think I've been certified for well over a decade, and I'm still learning so much and still refining my tools, developing new tools. That's actually how the children's model has been developed. We have a team, of course, Pat Ogden is leading the team along with other clinicians that are and have been doing child work and applying these tools. Mm -hmm. And that allows for an 
ever-flowing model to be able to work and develop. And then we have many, many tapes. All of our team are videotaping clients mm -hmm. with their permission. Mm -hmm. And many of them, by showing them the videotapes, they love seeing themselves. Children, adolescents, adults often, most children and adolescents love watching themselves. And it's a reminder of what we've done. And it often can be used both as a teaching tool, but as a way to explain to parents if they're not in the session. Mm -hmm. When a child shows their parent segments, mm -hmm. magic happens. Yeah. And then we have take family sessions with their permission. And often they are so fine with our showing the videos, segments selected, uh -huh. video vignettes to our students in the sensory motor training mm -hmm. so that our students aren't just learning the concepts, but they're seeing live mm -hmm. the session and then the feedback from the session. We have one couples tape where I showed in a couples training uh -huh. and invited the couple to be in the room. And the couple then commented on watching themselves. Mm, and it's oh. all on video. Oh, and so, so you're able to get so many different levels. Yeah. As a student of sensory motor psychotherapy, you're able to learn from these bits and pieces, right. fine-tune. And then we have an advanced child training that's in the works right now Okay, that we're able to really help our students to learn about. That's so, so exciting. lots of modalities. It's so exciting what you guys are doing. I'm, I'm so excited about it. I love hearing about it. I love reading about it. Would love to be trained myself someday. Um, so, and also, one other piece to mention is mm -hmm. that our child specialists are all over the country. We have Rochelle Sharp, who is working out of Canada and Australia and the Bay Area. We have Esther Perez, who is in Europe and teaching all over, both the children model. And um, we have Anne Westcott, who is all over the East Coast, as well as every other place I just named. She traveled everywhere. So we have access to teachers who are able to teach the model, um, but also who are developing. Mm -hmm. the model. Right. Well, it's 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 wonderful and um I if you could share um before we close out um you know how people could get started with sensory motor psychotherapy and start the the journey of learning it. And second, I'd like you to talk about lifespan learning um a little bit and your work there just because um I love the conferences they put on, and I'm like a junkie. I buy, I, first, I bought all the CDs of lectures. Now I get the MP3. So, so if you could share about both of those things to, to bring us to a conclusion. Absolutely. So sensorymotorpsychotherapy.org, or the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute, has all of the information. It talks about every name I just mentioned from Pat Ogden and the team and so many others at the Institute. If you look onto the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute website, you'll see both the ongoing trainings and also trainings such as 
at least annually, I lead a training here in Los Angeles, like the September 15th upcoming training in sensory motor psychotherapy with our children, adolescents, and families and groups. And that's here in Los Angeles. And I'm presenting in October in San Diego, and I'll be in Australia next year. You can look on the website. And I've been teaching everywhere. And each of the other trainers, Anne, Rochelle, Esther, are wonderful people to learn the foundational level one, level two, but also they have a specialty in developing the child program. So they'd be ideal teachers for people to train with. And in addition, um, I know that there are a lot of online opportunities to learn through the Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute. The um, part that's near and dear to my heart as one of the co-coordinators of Lifespan Learning um, and the Lifespan Learning Institute, we have a bevy of different speakers that come every year, and we are, every March, looking for new um, speakers. This coming year, we're focusing on relationships, and Dan Siegel, our medical coordinator, um, has invited so many interesting people. Um, Antonio Damasio is joining us. We have the whole team from the relationships first with Harville Hendricks and um, Helen Hunt and Marianne and Matthew Solomon and Stan Tadkin and his wife Tracy um, will be doing an interactive relationships first program there and um, Lou Casalino will be joining us. Pat Ogden is part of our advisory board and comes every year. And she and I will be doing a collaborative presentation working with couples and relationships as well. And that next conference is March 16th through 18th, 2018. And Life Learning um, Institute has all of those listed. And then people can email me at any point. I'm at Dr. Bonnie Goldstein at Gmail. I welcome any questions or input, email me and look at my website, which is drbonniegoldstein.com, for any group information in the Los Angeles area. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and for your, your contribution to the book, your contribution to the field. I can just feel your passion about this work, and it's just wonderful. So, well, thank you, Karen. You made this so interactive. I love your questions. Thank you, and looking forward to meeting our listeners. Yes, yes. All right. Thank you very much. Bye, bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, TraumaAttachmentCenter.com or subscribe to our iTunes channel for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, log on to TraumaAttachmentCenter.com. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, developmental trauma, and attachment theory.